This is Boat Crew RPG with Not All That Glitters. Hello everyone and welcome to Not All That Glitters. Today we've got a wonderful little heist for three experienced mages. Let's take a look at them. Aurelia, would you care to tell us a little bit about yourself? All right, so <laughs> I'm playing Aurelia Stephanie Linsent today, um, one of the hollow ones, and I uh, follow the description quite to a T. So imagine um, a young woman in her mid-twenties with that uh, goth or sometimes maybe a more modern punk aesthetic Mm, she has well uh usually her um occupation is being temporary so she switches jobs a lot um and she wanders the world but recently she has um been helping out uh, in the magic school um that madeline has started mm, her magic comes from basically her being tormented by nightmares and uh, it's very much focused on the dream world she finds herself in against her will um, and I think that should be a good start Excellent, I wanted to bring our scene and focus into that dream world. Have there been any huge recurring elements that have shown up a lot for Aurelia or is has it been an ever-changing dream with very little consistency other than the terrors and dangers of it i think she often finds herself in um urban environments and her dreams that seem kind of endless um almost like a labyrinth it's very hard to follow where she has been and where she's going mm. uh, she i i think we mentioned she has some kind of um mentor there her uh, avatar um, who has been helping her out and I believe uh, she was able to like carve out um, a safe space of sorts for herself so maybe she has uh, some sort of hideaway that she um, kind of knows how to get to when she's stuck in a dream she has uh, some powers over this dream world so I imagine um, despite the fact that things don't make much sense there eventually if she has tried enough doors she will, she will find the place that is safe to her and it's kind of like um yeah a a shelter kind of in disarray all right mm. yeah. let's say a good way to describe it that in the ever-changing city there's always at least one apartment which is safe to you it's never in the same building twice or even the door is the same twice but it always has the same apartment number on it, seven. And whenever you can get in there, the door is almost always unlocked for you. And the things that sometimes stalk you through the streets or parks never end up coming into your apartment itself. You have a roommate there who you don't have anywhere outside of your dreams. And when you can find her, she tends to give you really good advice. Tonight, you find yourself sleeping up instead of waking up in one of the large parks of the city. The stars are dim overhead, 
blocked out by the ever-present glow of thousands of lights with a few bright ones shining through. You can see them through the outstretched needles of pine trees. It's just as winter in your dream as it is outside your dream, and you hear the sound of cars in the distance, muted, but present, left, right, no one much is around you, you're waking up on a park bench. Uh, having checked whether I'm alone first, I think I want to uh, kind of find out how vulnerable I am right now, uh, because it's... Uh... It's not really in my hands usually what happens when I just entered this dream world. You have your normal street clothes, which is pretty good. You've got a backpack on the ground beside you, which doesn't look terribly full, but when it shows up, that's usually a good sign that you can pull something out of it in an emergency. And you can hear the beginning of a clanking sound, metal upon metal, somewhat off in the distance, but determinable. It's the thing that is sticking out today. Yeah, that seems like a bad sign. <laughs> uh, very often I happen to be on the run in these dreams, so it seems like it's starting out like that. Um, I wouldn't try to like orient myself more towards um, the nearest street. Um, the park area doesn't seem very safe to me. Yeah, as you look around, you realize the park might be up at most an acre, has a couple winding paths, a small fountain, and is heavily filled with these evergreen trees. One of the paths leads towards a road you can see through a break in the trees, a raw iron fence with a beautiful archway. City street is full, like it's rush hour, cars going back and forth. As you look upon them, the sound of them gets more clear. Yeah, I want to try to cross that street somehow, um, get some distance to whatever that uh, clanking sound is. Towards or away from the clanking? Uh, I want to get away from it, um, unless, of course, <laughs> I find it's uh, closer now that I'm closer to the street. Can I make out where it's coming from, roughly? Perception plus esoterica role for you. Difficulty seven for this. Okay. All right. One success. The clanking seems to be coming from a disused looking factory that you can see actually off to your left, about half a block away. It's actually right beside the edge of the park today. If you look towards the right, there is a stoplight the traffic but the cars don't seem to be actually taking a break at it at all it's constantly green and well at that four-way intersection you could always turn try and orbit the park or you could try to convince the road to let you cross somehow do i know of the factory is that like a recurring theme this is a new factory actually brand new i'll give you a intelligence and esoterica role on eight right four successes that's pretty good so the factory is definitely a new addition to the city it's not something that you run into usually it looks old slightly forgotten but not in bad condition there's a bit of smoke coming out of a chimney on it and it is distinctly i guess you could say European in style. 
it has very blocky looking letters on the sign that you can't make out from it, but they seem to be in some kind of a runic alphabet. I still feel like it's probably bad news, especially because it's like this new invasive thing um, in this world that uh, usually, um, well, is uh, is very uh, treacherous to me. Um, but also now I'm kind of intrigued because it's uh, it's so out of place, and I kind of want to find out more. Um, I do need to cross the street to get a, get to it, right? No, it's right up against the park. The rest oh. of the city is across the street. Okay. Yeah, okay. If I'm close to it anyway, I can risk a, a, a glance at it, maybe. So at least I want to try to get closer to make out that writing. All right. As you get closer, the writing is more visible. It has that same quality of so many things in a dream where it's not really distinct until you have focused on it. It definitely looks a lot like old... Norse runes, the kind of thing that you'd expect to find in a magic shop on stones that somebody would just be tossing around and trying to predict the future with or something. They've been so long abandoned for anything outside of mystic purposes that seeing them on a building is incredibly distinct, I can safely say. You did really good on your esoterica role there. There's a pair of double doors leading into the factory. They don't look like they're locked. But oddly, there is a small coney pond right in front of those doors with a little footbridge across them to get in. Like it would be around a castle? Like you might find in a Japanese tea garden that occasionally finds its way into a park. There's just this pond with a bridge across it. The bridge is still very European style, not actually Japanese style, but there are fish swimming in it. And across from that, there are the doors to the factory, just this break between the sidewalk and the building. It's double doors, and the bridge is probably about eight feet wide. Yeah, seems sketchy. <laughs> it's kind of too inviting. Um... As you pause, you can hear the clanging stop from inside, and then you can hear some muffled shouting. Can I maybe make out the language at least? Like, do I hear um, distinct words? Which languages does Orelia speak? Uh, English and German. All right. I'm going to give a wits and academics role to understand it. It's not German, but it's close to German. Not sure what the difficulty is, but I don't think I make it. No, you wouldn't have made that on a difficulty three. <laughs> All you can tell is it sounds similar to German and it sounds somewhat angry there's two voices one of them lower gruffer the other one high-pitched laughing mocking almost and the door bursts open in front of you a man with bright red hair runs out past you and seeing you on the sidewalk quickly turns the opposite way and books it that's surprising <laughs> i think i'm going to stand there for a second very dumbfounded um did I did I can catch uh, a glimpse at him? Is he like really afraid of something, or uh, he did looked he... triumphant, impatient, and in a rush all at the same time? He had a, a malevolent and gleeful grin that you don't even need to roll to be able to see. It just is written into his nature and name. Okay, that guy seems dangerous. <laughs> I think I want to check the inside of the factory then. 
Yeah, as you turn towards the factory, you can actually see someone heading towards the door. He looks a little out of breath, got a black eye. He's actually really on the short side and has a long, long beard, breathing hard. As you get closer and focus on him, the words stop being in whatever language they were before and switch to English. Damn, thief. This man's dizzy. Looks like he's been hit in the face and he's at most four feet tall. Who was this guy? The ash thief, the ice sun. How could he? Shouldn't have. Curse, it'll follow him forever. Forever. All right, what kind of curse? What are we looking at here? What What do you make in this factory? I made my wealth here, and he took it. He took it all. But wealth has to be earned. It can never be simply taken. We'll haunt him till the ends of his days. Walls follow him forever, the man shouts. Then a bit of a flash of light, a vision. You see murder following murder. People dressed in the clothes of a thousand years, stabbing each other in the back in the face, and each taking something off the one before them. You see a hand scrabbling, clawing, grabbing together dollar bills, gold, jewels, everything. With each grab pulling inwards, backwards towards the shadow, the hand grows more twisted. The skin grows darker, scaly. The fingernails longer, more claw-like. And the presence in the shadow seems to loom larger, larger. First, like a horse, like a car, like a house, looming over you with terrible, unfathomable malice. And eyes glitter in that darkness. One word comes from it. What's Aurelia do at all the side of this? Am I still like in the same space or did the vision like take me somewhere else? The vision started taking over every time the hand moved or the person changed. It was a flash. You would be somewhere different. You would be in a cave, on a mountaintop, in a plain, in an ancient city, near a monastery. Every time the hand grasped out the one person killed another, you moved somewhere else. Your last one on a mountain surrounded by snow, blinding snow with that hand, reaching back into the darkness on a arm far too long uh, i think aurelia would kind of try to center herself and while these things are happening she's trying to like uh stay focused not um not show weakness because she's afraid of what's going to happen to her um, well, aurelia is both a lucid dreamer and someone who's able to get oracular insight out of her dreams so she's aware that they can give her more than just visions, but she also has mind magic. So that lets her try to take over the dream when the dream starts getting out of control and ground it and center it. When you're going from place to place to place, you can instead decide, no, I'm staying here and try to make the dream listen to you instead of itself. So um, I'm caught in these uh, visions of like violence. Um, And I know somehow this all re, uh, revolves around some kind of objects that was uh, taken. Mm -hmm. So can I try to like refocus what I'm seeing to that object and to the the thief, like how this person interacts with whatever he took, what it means to him? 
Yeah, you can try to bring the dream back under your control with uh, some of your mind magic, actually. Sounds like you're going to try and focus through your meditation skills that you've been working on to use that. Focus on, you know, your breathing, your presence, your hearness. And for this, you'd be rolling an arate roll against difficulty six to be able to control your dream. It's a bit of a stronger, more powerful thing to do, but that would basically put you in the driver's seat as much as you can be. You'd still be on whatever road you're on, but you could stop the car or turn left or turn right instead of just being pulled along it on a, like on a track. Yeah, I want to shift the focus basically away from the violence and all these nightmarish um, appearances more to something um, grounded, something that I want to see. All right, let's make that roll and see how it turns out. That's one success, I believe. One success. One success will let you get something simple to happen. Things stop moving. You have basically been able to pause things for just a moment here. And you can see one hand reaching down to the body of the last person who had died. And you can see what they are picking up. You can see somebody pulling a simple looking golden ring off the finger of the dead body. You are right now in here in a blasted plain, what looks like high desert in the top of mountains, you know, above the tree line where there's only scrub plants at most. The sky stretches on forever in all the directions and you don't know where the mountain range ends or where it even began. So one person is dead on the ground mm -hmm. and above it stands some sort of twisted creature. The person on the ground looks somewhat twisted already. The person reaching down to them, you can see at where they are grasping, their hand has started to become twisted as they reach for that ring on the finger of the other. So the ring is some sort of source of corruption. He said there was a curse in the beginning. The ring is probably the carrier of the curse. Yet it keeps kind of going around from person to person and someone keeps collecting it. Exactly. Do you look around a little bit more? Do you focus on what you're seeing? Do you try and wake up? I want to find out what the ring means, like what what it what it does for someone. Why uh, this red hair uh, guy uh, stole it with some feeling of achievement, like what it means to these people. So, if I can, I'm going to let the visions continue and try to find that out. All right, you let go of the dream, and this person walks off too. Now that you've paused things, it seems to have taken on a different flavor. As you can see, the new holder of this ring walking off into the distance. This one happens to be dressed almost like a knight is, out of Renaissance style, you would think. For all you know, this the image is pulled out of your own memories of seeing Ren Fairs or going to them. You can look beside you then when you hear a sigh, and you see that short man from before with the long beard. He looks over at you. I think it would go this far. Who wouldn't go this far? What? I wanted to punish him for stealing it. I didn't want it to keep punishing everyone. Uh, she kind of rubs the temples. Yeah, he looks at you. Help me, please. Don't give me that look. I didn't cause any of this. I know, but it's outside my grasp now. But it might not be outside yours. He just looks at you imploringly, her old man. All right, all right, I get it. Okay, so I'm looking for a ring. No, it's 
I'll contact you through my agent when you've woken up. Please don't. You'll want Anne's friend. She knows what's enough of what's going on. Okay. How do you manage in here? This place is so messy. Looks a little confused, baffled. I, I, I don't know. How did you even come here? He reaches down to the ground and picks up a long, thin thread. You can see it stretching off into the distance in both directions. Seems to go through the world instead of just across it. And he said, they told me which one to follow. And as he looks at it, this piece of almost thin wine he's holding looks like it's starting to unravel. His eyes go wide. I have to go where this will end badly for both of us. And he runs off holding the piece of twine across somewhere into the middle distance and fades from view rather quickly. Oh my God, what an asshole. Now you're just stuck in a mountain range alone. You can either try to wake up or try and hunt down your dream apartment. Your call. Uh, I think I want to try to find that dream apartment. It's like one of the few redeeming qualities. Um, and I do try to take um, well, every instance uh, of it that I can find. Especially right now, I could really use um, some advice on whatever I have to do now to find this ring. All right. That's going to be another Arate roll difficulty six. You succeed, you'll be able to get yourself a path there. Two successes. Nice job. All right. You are able to look around and start talking to yourself about that apartment. And then you see a path worn into the dust that looks like people have gone hiking here which leads down to a cobblestone road, which leads down to a beautiful small cottage number seven. It's the only cottage numbered in this quaint medieval little town you've walked your way into. You open the door, head on in, and you are back in that apartment. The couch is still a bit worn. There's still a bit of trash on the floor that you haven't cleaned up from last time you were here. A couple empty bags of chips, wrappers from fast food, things like that. But the place is relatively homely. There's always something to drink in the fridge. And your friend, who usually at least looks like she could be taken for your older sister, seems to be having a grand old time sitting on the couch playing Mario Kart or something. It's ignoring the mess around her. I crash on the couch beside her and I uh, take off my boots and kind of massage my feet. Oh my God, I, I met like the weirdest guy ever. Yeah, he's not one of ours, she says, looking a little bit baffled and disturbed. Then hand you the player two controller. <laughs> what character is she playing? <laughs> She's actually playing Dry Bones today. That little okay. skeleton turtle. Yeah, I think my uh, main would be Yoshi. It fits. Mm -hmm. All right. She pulls up one of the four race grand prix, starts it off and starts talking to you then. So what did you think of him? I want to know your impressions before we start trying to discuss it. He seems like some weird nerd. He, he works on a ring in some Norse factory. I don't know. I got these uh, Sauron vibes from him because apparently he cursed his ring. 
and then the curse went out of hand and now he needs help from me yeah he felt really old like stupidly old not as creepy as Sauron but I could definitely say that he wasn't an invite what's weird to me is like he needed some sort of help to even travel here I don't I don't understand what powers he has and he doesn't have. Neither do I. I mean, the only thing I'm certain about was that I don't think he was human. I'm betting Faye, or at least he's in bed with the Faye. Stupid shit always happens with happens with these. Totally possible. I would say it's definitely worth looking into when you wake up. The real question, though, is how seriously do we want to take him? What do you mean? Well, he asked for help. But do we want to actually give him help or do we want to stop him? You seem like you're a little on the fence on whether he's Sauron or whether he's just working with fairies and in over his head. So uh, Aurelia like sets down the controller. Game is paused for now on like in between races and she uh, grabs a can of beer from the fridge and sits back down. Okay, so my main concern here is I'm going to find some stupid ring and then I'm going to die or get corrupted by it or something. And that's all his master plan. I don't know. Or maybe he's like a possessive spirit and he really wants uh, access to air quotes, the real world. Most spirits seem to want access to the real world. Madeline said it was the best one to be able to bribe them with. You offer them a chance to hang out here and they will do you a lot of favors. Oh, so you met Madeline. Cool. Not here. You've met her, so I've met her. You know how it works. I give her like a stink face. She sticks her tongue out at you and then looks at her can, shakes it, it's empty, grabs yours, takes a quick sip off it and hands it back. Okay, serious uh, talk though. Who of us is going to clean up here? Especially if Madeline is going to come over. Yeah, she'll be so picky about this. I, look, this is as much you as it is me, okay? She starts looking a little defensively. I even took out the trash last week. And there was like a zombie out there that time. How do your weeks align with my weeks? She looks utterly confused. I don't like, know. They, they feel like weeks, okay? Uh, okay. They feel like weeks. Don't push it. I'll beat you 4-0 if you start doing that. Every track's going wrong. Yeah, I don't know. It always seems like they mess with randomness in these games. Well, you mess with randomness outside these games. I mean, can I, can I really help it, though? I know the outcome, so I'm playing in its favor. No one's going to blame you for having the cheat codes. At least no one in here. You know, sports games get really boring. Like, really, really boring. You know, it's, yeah. But at least it's easy money. Yeah, I, I try to not draw attention to myself. Overdoing anything dangerous, she nods. But I do think that this is worth looking into for real. Well, apparently, uh, this weirdo also contacted Madeline. At least it sounded like it. Maybe. So maybe he just has knowledge that we don't. She looks at you thoughtfully. We run into too many people who have knowledge that we don't sometimes. You got to get working on that. 
again, I give her kind of a stare. Great. Well, what do you expect me to do? I'm here. I'm not there. I'm not relocating. I like our arrangement right now, but I do feel like you still have to work on doing more to pull your weight. I actually cleaned up my trash. She her rumps and rearranges a couple of the cushions on the couch as though trying to say, look, I'm neat. Can I use my entropy magic to reduce the entropy in the room so the trash congregates in one corner? You totally can. <laughs> and because this is in your head, that is an only going to be like a difficulty six thing again, because most of what you do here is coincidental. So I'm rolling RIT. Yep. Basically, when you're casting any magic, when you're creating any effect, it's almost always just Arate. Okay, I get two successes. Nice. I mean, you barely even have to do much. You kind of just wave at it with a broom and say, shoo, shoo, shoo. And because this is in your head, the trash shoes itself off to the corner. All she right. nod at that one with a little respect. And looks at you and says, well, just don't sorcerer's apprentice yourself either. Uh, I'm trying not to. <laughs> Can we say that the game is now royally broken because entropy is broken? Yeah, side effect of you doing that. <laughs> yeah, so we always uh, get like this, uh, this squid attack uh, from the item boxes. Mm -hmm. And the... Music on the game stops being from Mario Kart and starts becoming Ride of the Valkyries for no apparent reason, too. Uh, okay. She raises an eyebrow at you. You did it this time. Well, anyway, I think I gotta go. She nods. Do not all the trash in a pile. I'll take care of it from here. She gestures towards the bedroom where you can go to sleep here and wake up for real. Yeah, I don't even change or go to the bathroom i just kind of crash on the bed and hide my face in the pillow mm -hmm. um, but you handled this one really well so we're going to say that that kept you from having to deal with the negative part on your nightmares if you had a couple bad rolls then the nightmares would have affected you yay rather than just do the random one roll you go to sleep there and you wake up back in the real world in that upstairs bedroom of an ancient house in the woods of Chester, New Hampshire, where Madeline and you have been helping teach some of the younger mages and acting as a bit of a waypoint for traveling ones in this general region. It's like 9 or 10 a.m. And she's always up earlier than you. Yeah, fuck. I slept in again. Madeline, where might you be on a regular old morning? Is it a weekday or a weekend morning? Eh, we'll call it a weekend. On a weekend, she probably wakes up super early to clean her home. And then probably she, she'd be a meal prepper. So she's, you know, she has all her groceries bought the day before. And she's a creature of habit. So she probably eats like the same meals every day. Monday through Sunday. So she's meal prepping. And after that, uh, she'd probably call her mom or uh, her grandma just, you know, to check in. You know, her mom calls her a lot. And aside from that, I just think she would be getting ready to do some sort of morning hike or exercise routine. All right. 
Joseph has been wandering around on top of some of the old furniture while you've been eating breakfast and trying to figure out what you're going to do. It's still awkward being in a ancient 30 room mansion, but you guys do finally have a working landline there when you decide to, you know, use it. Horrible cell phone reception in the area. And whether or not to put in Wi-Fi is still one of those questions because would it be spied on? Would it not be spied on? This is the kind of place that the technocracy would spy on your internet. But uh, you felt secure enough with the phone because very few people care about landlines anymore. Joseph looks down at you from on top of a old credenza. Where are we going? Yes. Are you hungry? Yes. I'm almost done with my morning oats. Besides, you could just go out and forage some of the nuts from, I don't know, the giant tree in the backyard. Yeah, but I like it when you crack them open for me. You have got to be the laziest familiar. You're such a putz. Fine, just let me finish my oats, and then I'll go out back, crack you your nuts, and make you a little porridge. Would, you, would that make you happy? It would. You know they're like half the size of me, right? You do know you're magical, right? I know all sorts of things. Thank you very much. Yes, yes, we know you're the wise one. Will a handful of oats satisfy your hunger for now until I can get you your prime meal, oh master? That'll do. That'll do. And Maddie will um, probably prepare him his own, you know, overnight oats kind of thing. I think she's the type of person that she would meal prep for herself and to some degree meal prep for Joseph since he seems to always be hungry. And since she's kind of sees him as more than just a mouse, she would probably have either made herself a tiny set of uh, bowls and cups and things like that for him to eat out of on the table with her, or she would have bought something from a pet store. So she'll take some of her overnight oats, put about half a teaspoon in there and slide it over towards him. So we'll just wander up to the bowl, start eating on it, look up towards the door and say, oh, company. Company that kind of shakes her because she's just walking around her room in like her underwear, which is very ill-fitting, like kind of baggy stuff that you kind of just buy at the store in a pack. And she probably has like a really big oversized hoodie, which she pulls down immediately to cover her butt as she jerks around to see, you know, to look at the door because she didn't hear a knock. No, the door just hadn't latched. This place often doesn't latch very well. It's still old. And Aurelia was walking down the hallway two-thirds asleep still, but well on her way towards finding some morning caffeine. Seems on you. So is Aurelia just walking by my door, or is she walking in my room by accident or purposely? Uh, I think I would be looking for the kitchen. So unless you're having your oats in the kitchen. Uh, Kitchen downstairs. You can run downstairs and grab some food before you end up following Madeline if you want. I just was giving you the chance to start that here and now because i didn't realize she was eating upstairs in her room at first okay so uh maybe we can say i have coffee in hand that works better yeah Mm -hmm. messy uh green hair and uh bags under my eyes so i give the slightly ajar door a gentle nod and a knock 
Morning. Uh, hi, hi, hi. S -s so sorry. Uh, Maddie gets a little kind of nervous and she's really tugging on her sweatshirt, even though it's already at her knees, but she feels very exposed because, you know, she hasn't shaved her legs and her hair is kind of all over the place. And she kind of realizes it's Aurelia and just kind of stares blankly, says, uh, I, I hope this doesn't sound rude, but you look like crap. Are you okay? Are you sick? I just haven't had coffee. Also, uh, bad night. That's an understatement. Your eye bags look like you're going on a trip to the other side of the world. Have you even slept? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I must have. You're not even sure if you slept? It just kind of feels like I took a trip through time and other worlds. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um... Uh, here, come on in. I was just, I was just making breakfast uh, for Joseph and I. Go have a seat. I'll get you something to nosh on, okay? And um, if you wouldn't mind, and she kind of points towards a trash can by her, uh, by her desk, where she has seemingly thrown out a brand new set of uh, iron wind chimes. She says, "Oh, my mom got those for me, but I'm kind of, I have really bad skin allergies to iron." Um, they're from Japan. They're like really fancy or whatever. You know, she gave me a, a, the whole spiel about it. But uh, if you want them for your room, they're really cute. Uh, you can take them. I just can't have them anywhere near me. Uh, are oats okay for you, by the way? Do you eat oats? I have like zero appetite. You can't just drink coffee without eating. Madeline's mouse, Joseph, looks up at you from on top of the dresser where he is and just holding himself up little bowl with a couple oats like holds one up to his mouth and you can hear in your head everyone likes breakfast again i'm using my death glare on him <laughs> he doesn't blink he's a mouse you can't even tell if his pupils do anything he just stares right back at you and that's why i don't have a familiar so i just hide my face in the coffee mug i give the uh Shines a glance. Um, do they fit my room design um, with band posters and um, assorted things that were passed on to me? Technically, probably yes. Oh, yeah. If you want to make the room even more eclectic and hodgepodge than it already is, they will perfectly do that. Uh, Japanese, I think it fits the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. There's beautiful casting on them, including. Wonderful katakana characters on each of the hollow metal pipes that go up it, all connecting at the top. And these um, slightly more shiny, silvery ringers between them on a long chain. So I pick it up. This is cool. Yeah, it's really pretty. Uh, she got it while, you know, going on a work trip, but... You know, allergies are allergies. And besides, you know, the noise kind of gets in the way of, you know, my yoga routine. So <laughs> they're yours if you want them. If not, I was just going to put them out in the kitchen to see if anybody else wanted them. Yeah, I think I, I, I can hang them up. Great. Yeah, take them. And she kind of pushes them towards you with her foot. You know, she's got her feet in slippers and she's just 
really keen on not touching the chime. So she just pushes the trash towards you. And uh, with her hand, she sets this big bowl of uh, overnight oats that have just like a little bit of, you know, natural sweetener, some cut up fruits. And it just looks like an overwhelming amount of healthy stuff. There's like all sorts of seeds in there that you probably, you know, don't know because they come from a mix pack and just whatever fruit she grew in her, you know, in her room, I imagine she would have some sort of like aquaponic tiny system to grow like little strawberries or cat, you know, cabbages, things like that. So she's very dead set on reducing her carbon impact as much as she can. And most of her food is raw. So she just kind of shoves the overnight oats at you with a spoon and says, dig in. Yeah. In a minute, I uh, think Aurelia would have, um have her journal with her uh, she keeps a dream journal where she uh, writes down like details from all the dreams she has um or maybe she does like little uh, sketches of things that she has seen and i think she would try to like keep some of the most striking details of the dream she had now honestly why not both mix together could be almost your voyage manuscript of dreams you put that down And Joseph just walks over and starts taking a look at it, poking at the most recent page that you'd had your thumb in. If you bite those pages, I swear to God. I'm civilized. I don't eat books. Joseph, you can't just look at people's stuff. What if that's private? Private? He looks at you questioningly for a moment, seems to refocus his mind. Oh, right. Private. Yes, as in not for you. Oh, okay. He backs away from it. Kind of wondered what that one was, and he points this little beardy sketch in the corner. Sorry, he's kind of nosy, as she says, as she kind of slithers towards her closet and hides inside to put on a pair of like mom jeans and her, you know, hiking boots. Uh, just if he starts getting on your nerves, just kind of use your finger to push him away or just feed him. Feeding him really works. Uh, I actually wanted to ask you, have you seen this guy before? Maddie will walk over and realize that he's kind of, that uh, Joseph was kind of looking at a sketch And she'll look over Aurelia down at the sketch and she'll furrow her brow as if she's thinking whether or not she's seen this man before. It'd be a good moment for an intelligence plus occult role. You are relatively well read compared to a lot of people on these kind of subjects. Difficulty, Difficulty seven. seven. Oh, seven. Okay. Botch. Okay. <laughs> as far as you're concerned, Aurelia has been having dreams about um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves because this one looks like Grumpy. She kind of looks and nods. She goes, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, you know, I love Disney. That's obviously from Snow White. That's Grumpy. I didn't know you were an artist. That's kind of a cool sketch. Um, actually, I think he's from Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. Gimli. Of course. Uh, sorry, I just kind of was thrown off by, you know, the proportions of the beard. But yeah, I mean, who doesn't know Lord of the Rings? But I mean, um, you haven't actually like met met him, right? Oh, no, no. You know, my, my family's like super against meeting strangers, 
even if they're famous, I would never, you know, be able to even afford going to like, you know, a meet and greet. I kind of got close at Comic-Con once, but didn't quite make it long line. No, no, I I don't mean the actor. I mean, like you haven't gone into the story to meet him. Madeline kind of looks at Aurelia like she's smoking something. Uh, No, 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 I haven't. Well, now that Aurelia said that, you can see a strange resemblance towards Jean Rhys Davies that you wouldn't have noticed before. Yeah. Um, hmm. Sorry. But this is also an excuse where if you decide to try to do any actual tiny bits of research, we can let you guys start trying to roll for that as well. I'm trying to think. Maddie would probably have seen a lot of new faces since the Chantry got started, and she probably has a list of contacts, the names kind of bring faces to her mind so she's probably going to look at all the you know the teachers that kind of work in there or people that have helped set up the chantry to see if maybe that's where she recognizes him from okay now he isn't someone who has been at your chantry i mean the proportions still don't look quite human on him the more you look you realize no one has a nose that's that big and Maybe some Civil War generals had beers that long, but that's still out of proportion. It's too caricature more than anything else. So also, and while you're thinking, this would also be a chance that if Aurelia wanted to try to do any quick research herself to see if she can find any references that make sense, either of you could do a wits and computer or wits and research role to try and pull information either out of the small number of books that are here or the internet. Uh, what was that? Computer or? Computer if you're trying the internet or research if you're working on the small amount of books that have so far collected themselves into this chantry. Mm-hmm. Difficulty? Uh, I, it's still seven, especially because you actually did get pointed back on a different track. If no one had bothered to say this isn't grumpy, uh, it would have been a little harder for you, but seven for both of you. I got two successes. What happens on tens? Uh, Tens are, without a specialty, tens are just plain beautiful tens. With a specialty, they explode. Okay, okay. I have three successes then. And I think while we are looking through the books, I would let in Maddie on some of the details. Like this guy, he's been kind of pinning me down in my dreams, um, asking for help with something. Um, It seems like a really long time ago, like ages, um, a ring was stolen from him and he cursed the ring. So whoever owns it um, will have a terrible fate happen to them. All right. Combined, you guys got five successes. So with you helping redirect, Madeline starts thinking, well, this... You said Norse stuff on the factory, finds a couple books on Norse mythology around. You end up finding one story about a dwarf who made a ring, actually, named Andvari, which apparently means the crafty one. Loki stole his ring from him that he made to help himself find and gather treasure as a bribe to get the other Aesir out of trouble when they were in a bit of a mix-up. He got really mad at Loki and cursed him for stealing his gold and his ring that 
whoever had his ring would come to a horrible end, basically. And Loki, of course, used the ring to pay a bribe. The bribe went to a ancient dwarven king whose name I'm probably going to pronounce a little off because I don't speak Norse very well. Kredmar, who was then murdered for it by his son Fafnir. Fafnir took the ring, took all Kredmar's treasure, and ended up turning into a large dragon before getting killed by the hero Sigmund, or sorry, Siegfried. So Maddie will kind of pick up the book, and I imagine that Maddie and Aurelia would have gone through their own research methods and then kind of put their heads together. And since I got two successes, I will say she'll say, yeah, you know, I, I see it's, you know, a dwarf who lived, you know, under a body of water would be able to turn himself into a fish at will. And he had this magical ring that he used to um, accumulate a lot of wealth. And of course, Loki being Loki, um, fished him out of this uh, river and kind of conned him into giving up all the gold and riches that he owed, that he had to his name as well as this magical ring, which pissed off this, you know, dwarf and said, you know, curse whoever has this ring. And uh, that's all I found, you know, what'd you get on your end? Uh, did you know Loki has red hair? Did you know he had sex with a horse? Oh, oh wow. That's not um, okay. So I found <laughs> Joseph going. looks at you sternly for that one and covers his ears. Really? Oh, sorry, Joseph. He gives you a little bit of a mousy glare and runs off. <laughs> He'll be back though. What's his malfunction? He's just very innocent. She says as if she's not, but obviously she's just as innocent, if not more than the mouse. Sorry about that. I didn't mean to be crude. It's just, you know, one of the things that kind of sticks with you when you read about, you know, North Norse mythos, there's horse with a lot of legs. And then there's Loki, who's just the Zeus of the Norse world, basically. Yeah, I was going to bring up the Greeks, but maybe let's not. Want to find out more about the story? Join our Discord channel. The link is in the description.